0: Welcome back to part two of my interview with Reverend Jennifer King-Doherty. We've alluded to the pandemic many times. What are some other changes you've noticed? Positive changes, but also difficult changes in community life now.
1: Yeah. I would say... um, The positive... The really... The really poignant and positive signs I see of the health of our community are not only the ones I've mentioned about people taking care of each other and and staying connected, but the willingness and desire even to be of service to each other. We have a parishioner who teaches at an elementary school where they have a food pantry for their students and their families because so many of them are food insecure. And about three weeks into the pandemic, um, she contacted me to say that that pantry had become bare and was there anything the st. Mark's community could do to help? And so I reached out to the group of people who um, at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, the Dean had put in the in the Sundays and beyond if there's anybody who would like to help with grocery pickup or delivery or anything for people who are homebound um, and have uh, have vulnerable health sign up. And as it turns out, we had lots of people, 30 people who signed up wanting to help, but so far nobody who had raised their hand saying, I need help. (laughs) And so we, um, I reached out to them saying, here's the ask, could we help with the food pantry? Um, Can any of you help? Well, within 20 minutes, I had heard from seven people Within four hours, I had heard from a dozen people. And but within 24 hours, I'd heard from almost 20 people. And what they were able to do within a week of, and deliver at the food pantry essentially restocked it a couple of times. So there was this... Um, and what I learned from that, what I heard consistently was that people needed to help. People needed something to do in this time. Where they knew that they could be of care and service to other people, that it was so fundamental to their own well-being, um, that it's not a um, a sympathetic kind of a thing where you feel bad for someone so you want to reach out to them. It's more that spiritual connection of understanding of um, mutuality, and that um, really we are all better when we take care of each other. And that's what I've seen happen in many places in this last um, several months, that um, the ties that we have to each other sort of shine a little bit more brightly and grow a little bit more strong. I would say that the challenges that I've um, seen our community face um, really in addition to fear for one's own health and especially for the people that one loves who are vulnerable either here or elsewhere. We've had a number of parishioners whose parents have been sick in other parts of the country and they couldn't um, necessarily go and care for them. And so um, trying to support each other as we care for others near and far. And then um, for, for some people who live alone, um, it can be pretty crazy making to spend day after day on your own. And so trying to find ways that um, help folks rekindle their connections, even if it means um, learning how to do video conference, even though you said you'd never be able to do that. Well, all of a sudden we have a lot of technical skills (laughs) that I've grown and I know lots of other people have in the community too. Um, and then I think for some folks, it was trying to get a handle on what a pandemic looks like. Um, I remember having a conversation early on uh, with someone in the 20s and 30s group who said, I have seen so many films about pandemics that I don't know what to be afraid of.
0: Oh God.
1: <laughs> is, it, is it something that um, could look like that horror film? Is it something that looks like what does it look like? You know? And I think that's part of the challenge is when we're when we're going through when we encounter something that's completely unprecedented, how do we wrap our mind around um, what what may be coming and how do we live in that place of uncertainty? I think that early on in this, um, you know the initial focus was so much on folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, because that was the demographic that seemed to be so vulnerable health-wise, and and yet because the folks in that demographic have also um, had lots of life experience and individual and collective experience of living in times of unknown and times of fear. there's so much wisdom there and so much resilience and so much um, uh, well-being that I love talking with um, our parishioners who are in that age group because by and large, um, they've adapted really well and have been able to be sources of support and comfort. So I think one of the things I've observed in congregational life is that it, it can become and is for this community now that that sort of circle of giving where you can't tell who the giver and who the receiver is you know
0: Mm. that's perfect you mentioned well one of the things you mentioned was at the beginning when this all started back in march Obviously, nobody knew what what the immediate future looked like and I remember having conversations where the initial idea was that we would close for a few weeks and then we would close for maybe a couple of months or so and Now, I think it's fair to say that we're not really sure when we'll reopen and I've heard from Dean Thomason and I've heard from others that we could be the last church in Seattle to open, and that's not necessarily a bad thing if it means that we completely control the risk of uh, somebody getting sick from coming to St. Mark's. And that's a good thing, but it also really, really does hurt to think that the building will be off limits for months on end, possibly reaching into years, possibly beyond that. And I've heard from some people who've said they are making peace with the fact that they might not return to the cathedral that they might not share in the Eucharistic meal with us again because of health reasons and that's that's tough I mean I'm being completely selfish to say I'm fairly young and I think I'll be okay to re-enter the cathedral once it opens again and I'm there uh, to help out on Sunday mornings uh, but when I think that there are people in that community who are, I've spoken with so many times, who I've had wonderful interactions with to think that it might, it could be years until we meet again. Uh, that's, that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. But yeah. as you sorry, go ahead.
1: No, you finish.
0: As you said, we've learned a lot. We've learned things that we never thought we'd have to to do of how to reach out even when a physical touch like uh, holding a hand or giving somebody a hug is not a good idea we've learned a lot about how to open ourselves up in new ways I think and for as scary and as unpredictable as this is there are some fundamentals of what it means to be a community that do not change and that Mm -hmm. if we create a good environment Those fundamentals will be what see us through the storm. St. Mark's has been through storms before. The world has been through storms before. Granted, maybe nothing quite like this, but God will. I think
1: we have. I think the world has been through things like this before. And the St. Mark's community has in terms of, and so many individuals have, when you think about the life experience of people just getting the rug pulled out from under them and overnight and having to, um, remake their life that there is such um, resilience and holy backbone <laughs> in in the people as individuals and absolutely collectively that I know we will be together again I know we will be together in that space and I know that we will share communion and we are I, I think that as we start to um, adapt in the way that the governor and the health department and the bishop and the dean um, all determine is the right path forward that the smallest things are going to mean so much the chance when we finally are able to have pastoral visits even if they're socially distanced um, but to have them outdoors just to know we're breathing the same air while we share a quick prayer will have um will have meaning and solace in a way that we can't even anticipate and the first easter we have together the first time we celebrate communion together we are going to be flying <laughs> in our joy um whatever that looks like um even if it has some um, even if it, and it probably will have the, the hindrances of masks or distancing or whatever, um, I don't think anything can stop us experiencing the spirit that binds us together. And I really do trust that we will feel that again. And I'm not sure it'll feel like what it did before, but I... I do believe that we will feel it as deeply and it will feel as holy as what we might remember.
0: Thank you for that. I I already know that when we can do that and be in that space together again, I already know I'm going to cry my eyes out. There's just no way I can can retain any composure uh, at, at finally welcoming people back in. In whatever form that takes, we'll have to be careful. We'll have to be smart about that. But to, to have that feeling of seeing loved ones again for the first time in that space that calls us on such a deep level, uh, that, will, that will absolutely be a glorious day. So thank you for naming that.
1: And I would think, too, that when we are finally back in this space, we will realize once again that the space is not essential. Hmm that what we have in this time when the space is closed is essential. That the the cathedral, the body of Christ is alive and well and growing and humming and learning and developing uh, new ideas and creativity. And I would expect that those will come back into our life together when we are more rooted to a physical location, to the cathedral itself. Um, but I, don't, I, I bet that we have a little bit lighter grip on our need for that place um, when we come back together. And that's, that's probably a good thing because it means we could gather anywhere and know that we are the body of Christ, the people of St. Mark's.
0: Something that's absolutely blown my mind, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but something that's blown my mind is when we were challenged as a community to say, what are we going to do with that place that we know and love so dearly being off limits? We responded. We responded in incredible and sometimes overwhelming ways. I cannot imagine how many Zoom meetings you have to do in a given day, let alone a week, for you and the other clergy and all the other ministry leaders. The connectivity literal and metaphorical that they've had to, that they've done. I mean, that's congregational life.
1: Yeah. I've, I did not, I've probably done more video conferences in the last um, three months than I have in my entire life. Put together, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, because, you know, conference calls, but no visual was sort of the practice in my other work and then um, and, and what we probably did as well. And I, I think that the gift of that is not only technically we're all learning how to, to use them in a way that's most helpful and, and facilitating conversation, but I think it also opens up all kinds of possibilities for us when we do start to gather again in person, because it means that if, if we have an opportunity for people to join in without coming to St. Mark's, you know, re- you remember what the traffic was like trying to, to get to a Wednesday night Cathedral Commons or another type of a meeting, that if that barrier to participation is lifted, imagine the ways that we could gather um, in both small and large formats that um, open all kinds of creativity. Uh, we have um, the Revelation Bible study that we're doing on Thursdays in in uh, June, and then the Monday evening Bible study. We've had people who have signed up for those who don't even live in the Pacific Northwest. And so... Um, So then that kind of raises the whole question of what is our congregation? Is our congregation just the folks who can show up physically at St. Mark's? Does it include the faithful people who we know um, become part of the live stream every Sunday from Kentucky and New York and Oklahoma and Texas and um, even in Europe, we've had some feedback. Greg Block has mentioned um, folks who say they tune in every Sunday. Yeah, you know about that, too, from the communications um, committee. So that kind of expands, again, the sense of who is our congregation. It's, um, it's more fluid, and it's more far-flung, which I think is a lovely, um, creative development.
0: I did want to talk a little bit about the situation that we as a city, as a country find ourselves in now um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter moment, one of many moments, and also the work that we as a community and as a church community are called to do uh, with confronting the implicit biases and the systemic racism. What is the work of congregational life in upholding the value of Black lives and in rooting out and confronting uh, systematic racism?
1: Well, first of all, that work is core spiritual work. It's work of faith formation, it's work of justice, it's work of community life, um, any aspect of what we do together as a cathedral community, how we worship, how we interpret scripture, how we um, meet the needs of our community, how we equip parents to be the primary pastor for their children. All that we do is impacted by the work that we do Um of identifying racism in our own lives, in the systems in our nation, in um, the systems of commerce and education, and then what we do to to change it. I think the moment that we're in right now, it feels singular to me. It feels unprecedented. We've been here before in terms of the focus, but the focus plus commitment plus time that um, people are taking to really look at the evidence of the suffering that continues, the injustice that continues in policing or in the criminal justice system or in healthcare. All of that's been identified in such a short period of time on so many fronts that it's inescapable. And people are listening now in a way that they, I don't recall us listening before. Um, Public institutions from police chiefs to mayors to congressional leaders are saying themselves, yes, indeed, black lives matter. And we cannot unring that bell that we know is true. So, and Um, even though we've been having conversations around racial reconciliation at St. Mark's probably from its very inception and in the six years that I've been here, it's been a consistent theme. I think we have all um, had some of the veils uh, taken away and are motivated to really do the work and go deeper and to not ask the question, which I think is important, not ask the question, how do I understand the lives of black people better? Which is important, but really the first question is how do I understand whiteness and how I um, contribute to and our community, our city contributes to systemic biases and racism. So it's doing our own work um, and not asking someone to do that for us or to pre-digest it and teach it to us. Um, But it is white people's work, as the dean said in his letter yesterday. And I pray that we will um, hold that work as a spiritual path, a spiritual commitment, but also really stay away from the the tendency to slip into guilt or shame, um, to uh, enter into that white fragility where it's so painful to realize that it hurts when you realize um, these systems of injustice that you start to focus on your own hurt rather than um, what needs to happen. And I think that's the gift of being doing this work together is that we know we, lo- we know we love each other. We know that we can um, hold each other accountable, but in a way that doesn't negate that love or shame, that it is um, a realization that we all need to have together. Um, so that's my hope for both the four-week series that we'll be taking on in July and August, not four weeks, but four different sessions, two weeks apart, in July and August. And and then for what comes from that is that um, those of us who are white can, can do that work, can hold each other accountable, can grow in our understanding and um, make commitments that we fulfill to start to make change. And that the people of color in our community um, will feel safe enough to bear with that work, to not feel that um, they have to do that work for us and that um, their own healing and strengthening is somehow tied up in that. What would you say as someone who I know has thought about these things and lived them too?
0: Uh, I I would say I wish we had more time. The last few weeks have, for me, been a very methodical, sometimes methodical, sometimes not, process of unpacking a lot of ideas about certainly my place as a non-white person in a church that is mostly white, in a city that's mostly white, in a denomination that's mostly white too. I've never felt that St. Mark's was a place where I couldn't express my own spirituality or my own identity. I've all, from the first day I walked in, I've been incredibly lucky in that way. But I know that is not the case for many other people who are non-white, who are people of color, who have different backgrounds. There's a really strange intersectionality to it, that there are some ways I've benefited, there are some ways I haven't and it's not to say that I've been directly discriminated against; that has never happened. But there are mm-hmm. perspectives I have that are unique to me, but I think could be shared on a wider scale. And then there are perspectives I have that are unique to me that that do not describe, uh, do not remotely describe, the experiences that other people have had. And that's one reason I'm looking forward to the forums that you mentioned. uh, I know there are other things going on to continue to add to this conversation because we've used the words like conversation and discussion and listening and hearing many times. It's my sincerest, deepest hope that even as we use those terms, we'll do more than simply talk. We'll do more than simply listen. Uh, I've heard wonderful things from our church leadership locally and our church leadership from the presiding bishop's office about this, but it's not functionally different from the wonderful things I've heard said in the past when things like this have happened. My hope is that we can do things differently as well.
1: What would, um, when you imagine things doing things differently that would affirm that Black Lives Matter within the St. Mark's community, what comes to mind for you?
0: This is just purely off the top of my head. There's, there's there's not a great deal of thought behind this. But I'd like the conversations about this, and I know I keep using the word conversations, for that to be a regular topic of discussion, not only when a Black person is murdered by uh, police or where a, where a crime is not uh, properly um, investigated. I know there are many other issues to talk about, uh, but for me, it feels it feels rote that the only times or the few times this becomes a community topic is when something terrible happens. And I know that's kind of human nature, but I think if we are to see any lasting significant change and improvement in the problems that St. Mark's is not immune to, then it means this has to be on people's lips even when the story is out of the news cycle and even when something else comes up we'll have to address that but i don't think our bandwidth is so limited that we say all right let's move the black lives matter sign to the back so we can focus on x whatever Mm -hmm. x is um and i think by by that being a constant topic of conversation even when there aren't protests even when there there isn't an autonomous zone just a few blocks south of the cathedral by keeping it in view. Then I think those changes that we keep talking about will trickle down on an even deeper level. But I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I, I cannot imagine the frustration of black people and black families and so many black communities when that black lives matter sign is uh, there for one month and then the next month it's something else. And then the next month it's something right. else. Yeah. We have things to talk about. There are other things to work on, but if, as you said, this is a deep problem for us. This is something that we cannot shy away from. If ever we have work as Christians, it is this. And then not, not to forget it, but to deprioritize it in a few months from now, when there'll be something else. And then there'll be something else for me. That would feel then, that we're just making the same mistakes that we made the last time to say, Hey, we've got, we've got a roadmap. We've got wonderful discussions. uh, Good, good meeting everybody. We'll see you later. Um,
1: Moving on to the autumn harvest ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a really good point, Michael. And I think that's been, um, that's been one of the dynamics that many faith communities, and I would say Saint Mark's is not immune to this too. That that their that the energy and attention wanes, and for for paying attention to anti-racism work, and it's interesting. It's not a to me. It's it's not one of many justice issues in our country and in our history it is the fundamental justice issue which percolates its way through our history and into so many institutions that it's like trying to i do a lot of gardening it's like trying to pull up that one morning glory tendril that you see, and then you realize that it has gone so many places and underground and comes up somewhere else. Actually, morning glory doesn't do that, but there are a lot of other weeds like horsetail ferns or things like that, that that go under and then come up, that you realize that the, the substrata is so embedded that it can feel overwhelming. And then I think that's the tendency for for us to say, gosh, I just don't know what to do. You know, let's change the subject. Hmm. But the fact of it is that we can if we can if we can build the stamina and the resilience and the strength to sustain this conversation. And I think that's some of what we need to talk about in July and August is how do we hold each other accountable and build the stamina to continue this conversation. Then I think over time you start to see a discrete um, weed <laughs> that you can deal with and that we start to see all the actionable little, not little but actionable discrete things that that we can do and if we do that long enough, even if there is something in the substrata, we can catch it as soon as it comes up. And then it becomes something that doesn't have impact, even if the potential for it is there. So I completely agree with you. It's uh, one of our challenges will be, how do we make this a permanent part of our um, spiritual journey? And maintain
0: the energy for it. Yeah, because like you said, it is a stamina thing. This is a marathon for right. that discernment on that work. We're just about out of time, but I did want to finish on on a personal note for me. My first Sunday at St. Mark's was, I think, November 15th, 2015. And I remember that date because it was just a couple of days after the 2015 Paris attacks where there was a coordinated series of bombings and shootings in Paris and around the city. It was obviously a really scary time that that story dominated the news. There were hundreds of people dead, hundreds of people injured. France was on lockdown. Western Europe was on lockdown. And it was unnerving. And then on that Sunday, I walked into Thompson Chapel for the 7 p.m. contemplator service. I remember walking into that, quiet, silent, intimate setting, and the presider and preacher on that day did talk about the Paris bombings. For the life of me, I cannot remember what she said, but it was, the main gist was that we would not give in to these feelings of fear or persecution, that as Episcopalians, we believed in better things, that we would still grieve, that we would still feel the loss of life, but that our hearts were set on something bigger than th- the fear that was being constantly thrown at us. I-, I don't remember the words, but I remember that moment and I remember feeling like that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. That's the kind of community that says we can hold grief and hope in our hands together. And that was you giving that, that sermon. It, it was a 7 PM sermon. So it was about five minutes, which was also <laughs> really nice. <laughs> um, But then, you know, here we are five years later with so much else going on. I mean, there's a pandemic uh, which is still keeping our buildings closed. There are riots against racism and against police brutality. There's so much of what's happening now that reminds me of the world five years ago. To still hear your voice say these things reminds me of why I got into this, why I decided, okay, this St. Mark's Place is worth a second visit and a third visit and I've kind of lost count how many times I've been there now. Uh, Thank you for that. I mean, thank you for this conversation but then also reminding me why this work is important, that the world can be incredibly scary and can be incredibly cruel and unkind but there is always grace, I think. There's always a message of love that doesn't go away. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to find, but there are some things that cannot touch us because of the community that we're held in together. So thank you for, thank you for keeping that message strong after all these years.
1: Well, that's something I need to hear too. And I think that image of living with paradox of holding in one hand, all of the pain and suffering, the people we know who are dying who are terminally ill, The devastation to our earth. You know, all of the things that cause us such grief that are longstanding and that are new in the last three months and looking at them. And then looking at the other hand, which also has always held the knowledge of the love of God, the knowledge of the spirit um, that can bring new life out of places of death, that that is also true. And they don't contradict each other. Um, but I think our job, our calling, is to bring them as close together as we can. Yeah. Um, and to let them talk to each other. That they that it is paradox. And paradox is never um, worked out mathematically. It just is. Um, but it is... The one is bearable because the other exists. The, we can bear the not knowing. We can bear the uncertainty. We can bear the sadness and the grief because we know we don't bear it alone. And we know that we are constantly upheld and surrounded with grace and love. And we remind that. We remind each other of that. That's what I love about being in this community and about being in a community of faith is it seems that in that alchemy of God's love that as soon as I falter, someone else is there to um, remind me and, and put my feet back on the path. And hopefully we can all do that for each other.
0: Jennifer king Doherty, thank you so much. This has been an incredible moving and such an important conversation to have with you, not just about these times, but also to find out how this got started for you from the earliest dreams you had about being in a community that would support you and lift you. And now in the role you are, where you have such such a part to play in that support and lift. Thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for sharing your story and your time with us.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our music was performed by Michael Kleinschmidt on the Flintrop Organ at St. Mark's. Michael Pereira and Andrew Himes produced the podcast, and we hope you'll visit stmarks.org. So long!